At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Amen. Yes. So great to sing with you guys today. We are in John 15, John chapter 15. I love these lights. I can see all the way to the back. So if you fall asleep, Nathan, I will call you out, man. I'm, uh, no, I won't. I will not. Uh, not at all. Um, John 15, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, yes, worthy is the Lamb. We gather to offer you praise, Lord Jesus Christ, but more importantly, to receive grace from you, forgiving grace, strengthening grace, renewing grace, grace to believe what the scriptures have spoken, grace to love others as our Savior has loved us. Father, glorify yourself in your people today as we now give ourselves to the reading and studying of the scriptures. In Christ's name we pray, amen. John 15, verse 12. This is Jesus speaking. He says, this is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The word of the Lord. Next week we begin the series that will take us to our Christmas series. And I know for some people, 2020 can't end fast enough. There is hope inside friends. What I chose to do last week and this week was to speak about two of the most important uh, characteristics, qualities of a healthy church according to the New Testament. Faith and love. These are related to each other like two wings on an airplane. If you don't have the one, you can't have the other. If you have the one, you must have the other. What, the, what Paul the Apostle looked for in the churches that he wrote to was faith and love. Sometimes he threw some other things in like hope, but again and again he went back to faith and love. Let me just read you some examples. Ephesians 1, 15, Paul says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Colossians 1, 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. 1 Thessalonians 3, 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your, what? Faith and love. 
So as Timothy came back bringing a report, he's reporting about the church's faith and the church's love. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3. We are always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So if we want to know, if you want to know how our church is doing, simply ask yourself, am I growing in faith and am I growing in love? Is my life group, my group of friends, my family growing in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love toward his people? Those are the questions. Last week, therefore, we talked about faith. And we asked the question, does my faith reflect the God of the Bible, both Old and New Testament? Does my faith reflect the Jesus that we read about in the Bible? Does my faith reflect the church that we read about in the Bible? And I hope that you examine your heart by means of these questions, and that God did a work in you. I know he did in so many of you. Well, today we're talking about love, the other half of these two. And I think that we need the clarity of Scripture because, unfortunately, this powerful word, love, is applied to everything, which means that it comes to mean nothing. I mean, if I love God, if I can love God and I can love my dog, we need some clarity, right? Now, I'm sure you've seen all over town on people's lawns these different signs that have different statements on them. And one of the statements is, love is love. Have you guys seen this? Some of you haven't left your house since February. But, well, they're out there, you guys. You will will see them. Yeah, love is love. Now, on those signs, there are many political statements, and I'm not engaging with any of them today. But philosophically speaking, and just as the way the language works When I say, if I say love is love, I'm not giving you any helpful information. I mean, if I said to you, anger's anger, and a donut's a donut, and coffee's coffee, like, I'm not helping you out. Maybe you'll infer that I might get angry if I don't get coffee and a donut, although I don't like most coffee or most donuts. But I'm not defining these subjects for you. I'm not giving you any helpful info. Peace is peace, hope is hope, love is love. These are powerful words if they carry clear, true meaning. And I love the word love, so I don't want to surrender it to sloganeering. So today we're going to learn about the command to love each other, and we're going to learn of a greater love, a firmer choice, and higher stakes. So first, a greater love. John 15, verse 12, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Whenever you read the scriptures, you always want to ask yourself, where are we? You know when you used to go to the malls when they were open, and you would find a map of the mall, and there was a dot, right, a red dot that said what? You are here. And that's what you need to do when you read the scriptures. You need to ask, where are we? Are we in the Old or in the New Testament? And if we're in the Old Testament, where is Israel? Not a nation yet? Still in Egypt? Still in the desert? Are they in the promised land? Are they in exile? And if you're in the New Testament or in the Gospels, where are you in the narrative? Is it at the birth of Jesus or the beginning of his ministry or near his death? So we always want to know where are we. Well, in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John is divided into two halves, chapters 1 through 12 and 13 through 21. Now, based on that fact alone, You would think that when we get to chapter 12, we're in the middle of the story and we'd be incorrect, right? Because when you get to chapter 13, you're at the night of Jesus' arrest. 
John spends the second half of his gospel just telling us about the night of Jesus' arrest and betrayal, and then his death, and then his resurrection and resurrection appearances. And so when we get to the second half of John, the setting has changed. The crowds are gone. It's just Jesus and the 12 in the upper room. It's very intimate. It's nighttime, and they're having supper. And after supper, he gets on his knees, and he washes the disciples' feet. Have you ever washed anyone's feet other than your own or your babies? Those don't count because they're cute. But have you ever washed anyone else's feet? I mean, feet are feet. I'm starting to sound like love is love. But you know, like feet are, feet are plain and smelly. I mean, feet are kind of like bulging sometimes and like in the nails. And, and back then, they shared the muddy road with animals and their excrement. So these are stinky, crusty, lowly feet. And Jesus, who had all glory with the Father, came down to earth and he stooped down to wash the disciples' smelly, crusty, lowly feet. All of them, including Judas, was about to leave to betray him. And after he washes their feet, we have in John what's called the farewell discourse, which goes from John 13, 31, all the way through the end of chapter 16. And in that discourse, which all happens in the upper room when Jesus is with the disciples, in that discourse, the unit that we're looking at today is the center, the climax of the discourse. So that's where we are. Now with that in mind, knowing that just in a few moments, Jesus is going to go and be arrested And then die the next day. Look at verse 12 with me one more time. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now look at verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The central message that Jesus has for his disciples in the gospel of John. On the night of his betrayal and arrest is that they would love one another. But not just in any way, like, oh, love is love. We know what love means. No, that they would love one another as I have loved you, he says. So just think about this. He tells them to love one another as he loved them, and he sandwiches that commandment between Jesus washing the disciples' feet and dying on the cross. Just think about this. He says to them, Love one another as I have loved you. I just got down on my knees and washed your stinky, crusty, lowly feet. And I'm about to go spread out my arms on the cross to take away your sin. So that's what's on his mind as he gives this farewell discourse to his friends. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So Jesus now shows us what love is. He says that someone laid down his life for his friends. There's no greater love than this. You know, it's impossible to deny the influence of Jesus Christ in Western civilization. And yet our secular context mainly has a role for Jesus as a teacher of ethics. There is no place in our secular culture for his salvific death. And yet when you look at some of his discourses, for example, the Good Shepherd discourse in John chapter 10, yes, he talks about his sheep knowing his voice, which refers to his teaching, but what he emphasizes again and again is the fact that he lays down his life for his sheep. Let me just read you some of the examples. John 10, 11, he says, I am the Good Shepherd. 
The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 10, 15. And I lay down my life for the sheep. John 10, 17. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. You know, when Jesus is arrested in the Gospel of John and they ask him, you know, that they're looking for him and he says, I am he, the soldiers fall to the ground. It's like he has to help them, like get up and okay, get on with it, arrest me. He was in total control. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. So yes, we need his voice. We need his teaching. But what we need that no one else can give to us is his life. He lays down his life for the sheep. Church, we can do better than love is love. Love is laying down your life for your friends. There is no greater love than this. And so he goes on, verse 14. You are my friends. So as soon as he talks about laying down your life for your friends, he says, you, you're my friends. What's he saying? I'm laying down my life for you. They still don't get this, by the way. They will later on. But he goes on and he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. What's so interesting to me, but what Jesus is saying here is that I've met so many people through the years, especially those who grew up in the church, who say something like this. I obeyed God while I was growing up, but I never felt close to God. I went to church. I stayed away from the big bad sins, but I, I never felt, I, he felt distant. I didn't feel closeness to him. Maybe you relate to that. Here, Jesus says the exact opposite. What he says is that it's his friends who keep his commands. It's those who know him the best who pay careful attention to what he says. And do you see the difference that he draws here between servants and friends? What's the difference? Is it that servants obey him and friends don't? No. The difference is that servants only have commands. Friends have the master's heart. And this is so important. I hope you will hear this because this can be transformational for you. Jesus says, I've told you everything I've heard from my father. And because I've told you everything, I'm calling you friends. I've told you about the father's heart. I've told you about his purposes. I've told you about his plans from the beginning of time. And until the end of time, I've, I've brought you close. I brought you near. And you see, I think about my own best friend my wife. And I know her better than anyone else. I know her fears. I know her passions. I know her dreams. I know what scares her. I know all these different things. know her better than anyone else, and she knows me better than anyone else. There's loyalty. There's transparency. There's trust in this relationship so that when she gives me a command, it's easy-ish for me to, <laughs> to honor it. Now, I know that in marriage, we don't talk in the language of commands, right? We talk more about expectations. And sometimes our expectations are misguided and they need to be adjusted. But make no mistake, marriage comes with clear boundary lines, with promises that we are to honor. And so early on in our marriage, she told me or she asked me to not scare her. See, when I was growing up, we would scare each other. I had a lot of siblings and we would, we would hide and we'd scare each other. I think we did, uh, maybe I did all this scaring, I can't remember, but, um, but uh, and so when we got married, you know, now she's my roommate, you know, we lived in New York, and so I was like, oh, now we get to keep doing this, and so I would hide and be really quiet, 
And then she would come in, and I would jump out, and she would freak out. And so she said, please stop doing that. <laughs> and so I did. Uh, now, I think that I did in, during COVID, but it is COVID. I think I might have scared her one time, but, um, but I really haven't. I, I think she probably already forgot about this anyway. But anyway, but here's the thing. Because she's my friend, it's easier for me to honor her request, to write her command. And this is what he's talking about here. So I want you to ask yourself something. If, 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 if you try to do religion, if when you try to do religion, it feels heavy, if God's commands feel burdensome to you, do you know what's missing? Friendship. Friendship. You don't know Jesus' heart. You haven't invested in him the way he's invested in you. You haven't taken the time. You haven't spent the time getting to know the master and his heart, getting to know his humility. I mean, just that alone will melt your heart. I mean, Jesus is the most humble human being in the universe, and he's God. How could he have such level of humility? You haven't spent time getting to know his sacrifice, his sacrifice for you, how he's loved you to the end, how he's done for you what no one else could do for you. You haven't gotten to know his power, his love. You see, he's done for us what no one else can, which is laid down his life for us. And why does he do it? Because we're his friends. He says, you know, the love is, there's no greater love than laying down your life for your friends. He's laid down his life for you because he's your friend, because you're his friend. And what makes you his friend? If you do what he commands. But the friendship comes first. The friendship comes first. When I first met my wife, she didn't come up to me and say, hi, my name is Anna, don't ever scare me. There would be no context for that. The friendship comes first. Do you know Jesus' heart? Or do you only have vestiges of religion in your past? It's not going to help you. When life gets hard, when things are not going your way, at some point you'll just leave because there's no friendship. And I will add this. He says that we are to love one another as he has loved us. So rate your love. Rate your love for others on a scale from fairness to laying down your life. How would you do? If you rate your love for others on a scale from fairness on the one side to laying down your life, which is what Jesus did for us, and he calls us to love others as he loved us. So from fairness to laying down your life, if you come to my house and you spend just a couple of hours with us, you will see quickly that fairness here, that we, we move in the direction of fairness really fast. Really fast. And it takes everything. I mean, it takes prayer. It takes the Spirit's power. It takes warnings. It takes talking. It takes going back and forth to try to move the needle a little bit in the direction of laying down our lives. And if you look at your life, this is where we like to live in the, on the fairness side. You do your part. I do my part. We'll be good. That's not love. That's a self-interest contract. That is not what Christ calls us to. And so, how would you do? 
Love is laying down your life for your friends. It's a, there's no greater love than this. Number two, a firmer choice. So greater love, a firmer choice. Look at verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. In American evangelicalism, in the American church, there's a lot of talk about um, choosing Jesus. People making a decision for Jesus. Do you know how many decisions for Jesus don't last? The problem there is the same problem as people have falling in and out of love with each other. And the problem is that we put far too much emphasis on the individual's choice. In America, we worship at the altar of choice, personal choice. It's my choice or not to put on a mask. It's my choice or not to keep the baby. It's my choice or not to stay in love with you till death do us part. Conversely and refreshingly, Scripture puts the emphasis on God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And right here, Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Now, think of how awesome that is. Jesus didn't just sit by the Sea of Galilee longingly waiting for someone, anyone to come by and like what he said and sit by his side and just start listening. No. He went after them. He went after Peter and Andrew. He went after James and John and all the rest. He chose them. They didn't choose him. And it's the same with every single person ever since who's ever come to Christ. It's always been the same. Do you think I came to America wanting to become a pastor? I would have become a garbage man first. Pastor wasn't even in the running. It just wasn't. But it didn't matter. Because he chose me for the kingdom and for the pastorate. It's a firmer choice. Think about it. You chose Christ or he chose you. He says, no, you did not choose me. I chose you. Now, if he's the one who does the choosing, what's our role? Our role is to respond. That's it. Our role is to believe in him. I mean, again and again, this is what John is doing in his gospel. is presenting to us the glory of Christ so that when we see him, we're like, yes! He's the one I've always been looking for. That's our response. We believe in him. He comes after us, and trust me, he lacks no means to come after you. I've heard story after story, Shaney. Right? The, the video that we watch. I mean, but story after story. And people often don't have language for this. But they're trying to express. I mean, she said, I kept thinking, I have to go there. I have to go there. Why? Why did she keep having that thought? God was after her. We respond. Side comment here. If you're married, you're married to the right person. And what's helped Anna and I so much through the years as things get tough, and they do get tough, is to always go back to God. God is the one who brought us together. We always go back to that first, and only secondarily do we go back to the fact that I loved her deep blue eyes, and she loved my Latino fire. Only secondarily do we go there. God put us together. We did not put each other together. And if you are dating, the answer you're looking for is very simple. It's just one. Lord, are you bringing us together 
as husband and wife. That's it. Because if he is, you're going to go through devastating things, but you will not be devastated. You're going to go through crushing things, but you will not be crushed. Look at verse 16. So he says, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go. Go and bear fruit that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let me say two things about this. He says that he chooses us and appoints us so that we will go and bear fruit. Fruit that will abide. Fruit that will last. Now interpreters are in agreement that the kind of fruit he's talking about here is missional. It's disciple making. Going back to John 15, the beginning there, where he talks about pruning those who belong to the vine so that they'll be even more fruitful. What he's looking for is this harvest that we are to bring to him, the vine, the good shepherd. Is that what your life is about? Is it about making disciples of Jesus Christ? Or do you think that that's the job of the staff or the super spiritual people? In the church. No, this is what Jesus says. I chose you and I appointed you to go. Where are you going? Who are you going to? So that you will bear fruit that will abide. So the flow of the passage goes like this. Jesus loves us by laying down his life for us. His love becomes transformative in our lives so that we are able to love one another as he loved us. And in turn, as we love one another as he loved us, others who are far from God are drawn to that love. But really, what they're drawn to and what they come to is Christ himself, the vine, the good shepherd. Do you see? So his love loves us to the end. That love is transformational in our lives, and we learn to love each other. We would not know how to do this apart from his love. And as that's happening, others come in. Church, there is no higher meaning or purpose or riches in life than to be about the joyful task of making disciples of Jesus Christ. In heaven, none of us is going to go, man, that trip to Hawaii was awesome. But yeah, I'm also glad that you made it to heaven, Anthony, Emily. We're not going to be like that. It's going to be all about the people that we helped get to come know the Father through Jesus Christ. That's all we're going to care about for eternity. Everything else we get to do will just be icing on the cake. Incredible things that we all get to do with our gifts, with our resources. But it's about the fruit. It's about the fruit that abides. That's the first thing. The second thing that I'll say here is that in the middle of verse 16... Something he says that, is, that can confuse people quite a bit, and it's this. Middle of verse 15, 16, he says, So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So people say, well, I've asked the Father for a spouse, for a child, for money, for a promotion, and I've asked him in the name of Jesus, mind you, and he hasn't given it to, to me. This is very real. This is, this is the struggle of life for all of us. And I think the first thing that, that we want to recognize is that God, the creator of the universe, is not the Aladdin genie. It's so easy for us to slip there in how we relate to God. 
But there's a verse in this chapter that's very helpful to us, I think, in this regard, and it's verse 7. Look at John 15, 7 with me. Look at what he says. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So I've seen this multiple times in my own experience, in the lives of many others, and it's this. Jesus says that if we abide in him, and, our, and his words abide in us. So we abide in him, his words abide in us. Then we ask, and it will be done. So his word is in us, and as his word is in us, we're still going to have desires. Because it's very human to have all kinds of desires. I mean, my dog has desires. So as he wakes up in the morning, he's running with purpose to say welcome, you know, good morning to everybody, to eat, to pee, I mean, all of this. And we are much more complex creatures. We have hundreds of desires. So that from the time that we open our eyes, we're wanting something. So that's not going to go away. The trick is that as the word of Christ is abiding in us, and our desires, we're putting them forth, whether it's in the form of prayer or we're just like, oh, I want this, I want this, I want this. But then say something that you really desire does not come to pass. At that point, you're going to be faced with a question. Do I believe and want the word of God more or do I believe and want my desire more? And if your answer is, my desire is most important to me, then at that point, be careful because you're going to be tempted to let go of the word of God. But you see, we can't let go of either. And that's not the choice that God has us make. Because if you let go of the word of God, then you're going to become of the world. You're going to become worldly to the peril of your soul. And if you let go of your desires, you're going to become subhuman. Because again, to be alive and breathing is to want. So what are we to do? As the word of God abides in us, remains in us, that word begins to shine light on our desires so that our desires begin to morph and change in the light of God's word until they are aligned with God's word, which is God's will. That's what happens. So that then you're moving forward really strongly in the word of God and really strongly in your desire, but your desire is now godly. And I've seen this happen so many times, and I've struggled with this, you guys. Because I've struggled like, okay, do I want something that's selfish? Is that something that God wants me to do? Is that not of him? What, what do I do? But, you know, I, as, I, I, as I keep bringing this to God, and I keep staying with him, I'm staying with you, God. He aligns my desires. To some, he, teach, he changes them. There are things I wanted when I was 20 that I don't care at all about now. There are th- some that he has just transformed, so he's given them to me, but they look so different from what I first thought. But here's the thing, you guys. That process is painful, and it's long. And it would be so much easier to either let go of the Word of God, maybe not so much let go of the desire. We struggle with that more. But here's the thing. Remember, Jesus chose you. 
which means that he will bring to completion the work that he's begun in you. So do not lose heart. Finally, higher stakes. Verse 18. He shifts gears here. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now these verses begin the next section of the farewell discourse, but they're important for us as we understand Jesus' call on us to love one another. The, the change in theme is jarring, isn't it? In verse 17 he says, I've told you these things so that you will love one another. And we're like, yes, that's why I love Jesus, because he's all about love. He doesn't want us to be exclusive or radical or intolerant. He wants us to love each other. But then you read verse 18, if the world hates you. And you're like, well, what? How do we go from all this love to all this hate? And the answer is, he gave it to us earlier in John 7, that the world hates him. Because he testifies that what the world does is evil. You know, I've heard critics of the church from within and without say something like, well, the world will start paying attention to the church when the church finally does X, whatever their soapbox is. Uh, I know the church gets many things wrong. But I also know that the world will never love the church. Not a New Testament church. The world has no problem loving a church that is dying. A church that no longer abides in the word of Christ and no longer gives witness to Jesus Christ. That church has just become like the world, so of course. But a church that holds on to the cross as the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, whether rich or poor, black or white, man or woman, American or Arab, secular or religious, it doesn't matter. That church will always be hated by the world. Why? Because the world hated Jesus. And Jesus called us out of the world. And so the stakes are higher for a follower of Jesus Christ because if you truly follow him, if his word truly abides in you, you will begin to feel like an exile in your own country. And we're going to talk more about being exiles next week. So are you ready for that? Have you counted the cost about this? Let me close with this. We go back to the beginning. And Paul was writing on us, on, about us on Twitter although actually he has far too much to say for Twitter, if he was writing an email about us, would he say what he said about the Thessalonians? We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters in Woodside Royal Oak, because your faith is growing abundantly and your love for one another is increasing. Would he say that, church? I want our faith to grow. Go back to last week's sermon if you didn't hear it. I want our love to grow. The way that we love each other, remember the Lord on the night when he was arrested, before he died, after he washed the disciples' feet, and before he went and spread out his arms to take on our sin, he said, love one another as I have loved you. So let's love each other. Love is laying down your life for your friends. Rate yourself. Rate your love for others on a scale from fairness to laying down your life. Husbands and wives, how are you doing? 
Are you laying down your lives for one another? Or is it a contract? You did this, now I do it. Is it 50-50? Is that how it goes? That's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough, tough marriage. Children, are you preferring your siblings? Are you treating your siblings, laying down your life for them? Or are you just all about fairness? Hey, I did it yesterday. You do it today. Is that what it's about? Parents, are you loving your children with the love that they need? Are you laying down your life for them? Not just in the things that are easy for you, perhaps, but the ones that are hard. Giving witness to the truth of Christ so that they may know him forever. Single people, what's your life about? Is it about knowing that Christ has chosen you and appointed you to go, to go and bear fruit that will last? Is that what your life is about? Is that your whole purpose? Or is it more about your own agenda? Which one is winning, your desires or Christ's word in you? And are your desires morphing to become aligned with his word? Think about these things. I've seen some amazing things in this church body. Amazing things. I've seen people helping single mothers with their children in these hard times. I've seen many of you volunteering to help youth at risk, to help the elderly, to feed the hungry. I've seen many of you, and this is so, so needed and so, so good, open up your homes and your lives to marriages in crisis so that they may come in and watch you and watch your battle and your struggles and you're transparent with them, with the mess, with the grace, and it gives them hope and it points them to Christ. And I've seen that again and again and again. I've seen many of you give your time to people who are young in the faith so they will not languish in their youthful faith but become strong and mature, abiding in the Lord all the way till the end. I've seen so many examples of us learning to love one another as Christ has loved us. We only can learn this from Him. None of us were born knowing this and none of us ever arrives at doing this. But I've seen beautiful things in this church body. And it's what I pray to God that we will grow in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we will increase in our love for one another. Church, we did not choose him. He chose us. Our Christian faith is not so fragile as to hang on the thin thread of our choice. No, God, the Father, knew us from before the foundation of the world. And Jesus Christ came on a rescue mission and the Holy Spirit penetrated our heart and gave us new birth. And we've been invited into this friendship with the triune God so that it's our joy to go and bear fruit that will last. Love is love. We can do better. Please don't get into any social media fights over that statement. You know better. Love is laying down your life for your friends. Let's pray. Father, it is our joy. It is our pleasure to come and devote these moments, these light moments, these short moments to your word, to meditate on it, to see by its light, 
Father, I thank you for helping us see that you're looking to our faith and you're looking to our love. And Father, we want to grow in both of them. So help us. Help everything that we do as a church family from the Sunday gathering, from the singing, from what we do together in our groups, from the way that we serve each other and our cities. Father, help all of those things. Increase our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and increase our love for one another. Father, would you draw many, would you draw many people to yourself through our bond of love? Teach us, God. We confess our selfishness. We confess that we are far more at home on the fairness side of the ledger. But Lord, there's no life there because we all break your law. We cannot stand if you judge us on fairness. So teach us to lay down our lives for our friends as you, Jesus, laid down your life for the sheep. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.